the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Better Life with Dr. Mary Ann Pinkston. Join Dr. Pinkston today as she teaches you how an integrative approach to health, combining holistic and contemporary medical information, can lead you to The Better Life. And now, here's your host, Dr. Mary Ann Pinkston. Everybody and welcome to The Better Life with Dr. Marianne Pinkston. I am Dr. Marianne Pinkston and with you again this week to give you some more breaking wonderful information on how to improve and better your life. And today is no exception. I have some poor soul out in California waking up early to be on with me today. And I have Dr. Eric Maisel, who I am pleasantly surprised to have on the show. He's got a doctorate in counseling psychology and a long bio as long as my leg. I'm going to let him go over that a little bit. Very esteemed. More than 50 books published. I need, uh, Dr. Maisel, I need to, to know how you did that. I would love to accomplish that. Welcome to the show. I'm glad to have you on. Thanks, Marianne. It's lovely to be here. Uh, call me Eric, of course, please. And how, how do I write 50 books? I get up every morning and work on a book. <laughs> that, there you go. You just spend a lot of time doing it. So, yes, I, yeah, I, I've tried right. to, tried starting one, and, and I'm, that was probably about six months ago. I'm still starting it. So we'll get there one yeah. of these days. Before we go anywhere else, let me just tell the folks out there who are trying to do any kind of creative work that sure. the secret is daily practice. The secret is to not miss days. Yeah. Because as you know, you know, you miss a few days, and suddenly weeks, months, and years disappear. Yeah. That's the way it goes. It is. So – you are so it's not a crime, right. not a crime to miss a day, but it's sad that people lose so much time right. and don't get their creative work done. And that's a, that's the important thing in life is your creative work. And, you know, we get up in our, our every day, you know, nine to five or sometimes more than nine to five work yep. and families and get bogged down in things. And we kind of forget our creative side. And I think that is the spice of life. And we don't really get that until we're, you know, kind of toward the later years. And and uh, I think it's such a shame. Yeah. And typically we don't get in our later years if we haven't built our muscles in the in the younger years. Sure. So. True. You know, it, 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 we lose it entirely if we don't uh, work at it. Absolutely. Well, if you don't use it, you lose it, they say. Mm-hmm. And so on that note, too, I know that um, you have a new book that is coming out probably, I think, next month. And so tell us a little bit about what you're doing and your new project. Sure. The book is called The Coach's Way. Um, there's a long story behind it. Um, I started out as a novelist way back when, 50 years ago. When that didn't make enough money, I retooled as a California licensed family therapist and did psychotherapy, primarily with artist couples, which is one of the hardest work you can do with two artists in the same room and each one wanting the other one to maintain the day job and all of that. But I did that only briefly because I stopped believing in the pseudo-medical model of therapy, which we can talk about, but I, I didn't believe that these were mental disorders in front of me, but rather challenges in living. Right. And so I segued from that to what I called creativity consulting way back then. Coaching wasn't even a thing yet back then, right. 45 years ago, or I don't know when exactly. 
And so when coaching became a thing, I just renamed myself a creativity coach and sort of founded that profession maybe 30 or 35 years ago. And that's what I've been doing for the last many years, doing coaching with creatives. And this book does that thing that um, we love books to do, I think, and that is get, in, get into the weeds, explain how sessions go, how you start a session. This book, the book is for coaches primarily. There you go. And it, and it helps them understand how you start a session, how you manage a session, how you end sessions, how you co-create plans and help people realize their dreams. It's really the, the nuts and bolts of coaching. That's great. You know, you're, you're very right. I've, I've heard you say a couple of things, which I'm going to keep in the back of, uh, back of my mind to, to accomplish. And that is getting up and practicing the same thing every day, getting into a good habit and then giving, you know, back, I think you're going to be the father of, of inventing coaching, I guess uh, it would be to say if you, you know, if you did that so long ago, I think you're right. It is very, very uh, popular these days. I think everybody is trying to uh, become a coach of some sort. Some people may not be really uh, appropriate for it, but um, I think coaching now and trying to help, you know, guide each other through, you know, different endeavors, whether it's a health, a, a yep. physical health, a mental health, or, you know, some sort of a creative side to a, a business uh, opportunity or something. I think it's become very, very popular now. Yeah, I think it's a good model. I think that's why it is popular. It, and it's not an expert model like real medicine is an expert model. You kind of need to know something right. in real medicine. But here all you're trying to do is be of a little help. And that's not an expert position. That's a human being position. That's right. me asking you what would you like to get done and what's staying in the way. And, you know, if I may not know your profession at all. You may be an architect or a clown sure. or something I don't really know anything about. Yeah. You know, and so it's not that I have expert knowledge about who you are or what you're doing. It's mm -hmm. that I know how to ask you certain kinds of questions and how, how to listen and sort of what therapy really is, as opposed to what it claims to be, which is the diagnosing and treating of mental disorders. That's a fancy name for what actually goes on, which is really just listening and responding. Right. Right. They're very similar, I think. In, in session, I think therapy and coaching are very similar, right. except that. Mm -hmm. The therapist looks at the past a lot more and coaches want to look in, into the future sure. and into the present and the future. Gotcha. That's very well said. And so in, uh, you know, the coaching uh, therapy world, and that's what I, I taught to patients about. I think most people I try to encourage to do some sort of counseling therapy, but, you know, that has such a stigma to it, I guess, that I uh, have called it now more life coaching and, yeah. you know, yes, we have to dig into the past because we have learned some coping skills that probably don't serve us very well. It helped us to survive. But in order to look forward, you know, we need to make some adjustments and, and try to um, behave differently or, like I say, you those yep. coping skills differently. And so, you're yeah, right. and that isn't much the model anymore. The therapy model has, as you know, has gotten replaced by the psychiatric model, by the pill model. Yes, where I, you know, I give you, a, if I'm a psychiatrist, I, I spend 17 minutes with you and mm -hmm. go through a checklist and give you a label. I don't think it's a real diagnosis because no no tests are run or anything. It, it's really right. a label. I give you a label. Right. You say you're depressed. I repeat that back to you. You're depressed. Right. And we go right to antidepressants. So I think people who are looking for help in the pseudo-medical world of psychiatry and, and therapy, they're not being that well served nowadays, I don't Absolutely. think. 
And that is true in so many aspects, not just the psychiatry side. And you look at cholesterol, you know, here's a pill. Don't eat right. Don't make your lifestyle adjustments. Just take a pill, right? And I think it's true all over. And that's become very, very frustrating now in my practice, especially over, uh, over the last few years with COVID. And I know that we have had a lot of change to... Uh, our attitudes and approach to each other and relating to each other. Yep. I know I, I feel like we have all developed some sort of PTSD, so to speak, uh, mm-hmm. over the, the difficulties that, uh, you know, of losses and griefs and things that we've had to, yep. to manage an illness. So it, it's been uh, it's been interesting. And there's no there's no pill for that. There isn't. What what especially um, disturbs me is the way that kids who have no voice in things are being given so many Absolutely. different Chemicals. I'm not going to call them medications, but they would be medications if there was a real illness involved. But there's no real illness involved. Absolutely, it's really behavior control Absolutely. and social maneuvering. It, it, so but, mm-hmm. you know, somebody needs to advocate for the millions and millions of so-called ADHD kids or ODD kids or yeah. pediatric depressed kids or whatever whatever the labels are. The kids have. The kids have no choice, and the parents are feeling like they don't have much choice right. if the school is pressuring them right. that they're essentially that their kids should behave or their kids should pay attention if the school's pressuring them. And even some, you know, legislatures are saying you're not a good parent if you don't medicate your child, Absolutely. which is wacky. Absolutely. But there you go. It, you know, it's a wacky time. Absolutely. <laughs> You know, this is a, you've hit kind of a passionate note in me on that one. I spend a lot of time with my families and kids on this. As a family practitioner, I get to do just about everything. I see all the, you know, stages of life and and what people are going through. But I love my kids. And, you know, I've always wondered how at this point we can, because it says in the DSM, the DSM criteria says that, you know, you can't diagnose bipolar disorder until, you know, close to the age of 20 or just into their early 20s. Yeah. Yet we have seven-year-olds on a, on a bill of fire or other, you know, mood, yep. uh, mood disorder medications. And I, I really think that their brains are not well developed. I also think that there's a lot in the environment causing a lot of neuroinflammation and that these affect children and their behaviors. And again, they are getting pressured. And, and, you know, for somebody like me who can spend 15 minutes with the patient, for some clinics, it's 10 minutes with the patient, yeah. you know, to go through their whole entire life and, and you know, the, try to figure out, you know, their discipline, the way the parents discipline. And what's changed, right? what's changed recently, if they've you know, if they used to have their own room and now they're sharing a room with a sibling, there's right. so many things that go on that affect human beings. And who has who has a chance in, in 15 minutes to actually get at what's affecting the person across from them? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's not, it's not really it's not a fair model. It's not a fair model if the, if the goal is to understand what's going on. And as you know, um, that isn't the goal in, in, in most of in most of psychiatry and psychotherapy. It isn't the goal to know what's going on. That's why the, the DSM is silent on causation. Right. It, kind of crazy if, you know, like a physician's desk reference had nothing to say about what's causing things. Right. It's a very odd idea to be silent on causation, but it's silent on it because it's not actual diagnosing. Right. It's just supplying of a label. 
That is put so well. Thank you. I've, uh, I've never been able to verbalize it in my head that way, but you nailed it. That is absolutely true. And not that all medication is horrible. I, you know, there's a time and a place for things, but I think it is too easy as a go-to because we have so limited time and resources and the pressures from the schools or even the parents sometimes. And, you know, I, I think it's just too too quick to go to. If they need it, fine. We can We can work on that. But I, I really feel like there's a lot more time to yeah. be spent. And, and they are and many of these things are gateway chemicals right. that, that are hard right. to get off of over time sure. and that do open the door to a lifetime of being stuck on one chemical or another. So it's, it, it's not just that the chemical may not be doing the job it's supposed to be doing, but that its side effects are really pretty terrible. True. Absolutely. And, you know, I think children these days, I, I think about my childhood, you know, I was out until 10 o'clock at night on a bicycle, exactly. you know, blocks and blocks from home at a very young age. I mean, the world was safe. We didn't have social media and all. And so I think children by far have it way more difficult. Absolutely. I was just having, I have to share an anecdote. It's just something that passed through my mind the other day. I grew up in Brooklyn. And all summer, my friends and I would be on our bicycles, and we'd go all the way to Queens, which is a long ways. And I was just wondering the other day how in heck's name we got back, right. because we had no we had no maps. I don't know if it was like being a, <laughs> no no a home- maps. No, no, no Google, no apps. Uh, we must have been homing pigeons or something to spend the whole day riding miles and miles and miles and then figuring out how to get home because right. there was no single road back. So it's just it was just a funny memory of, of exactly You're that so kind right. of free, free and easy childhood being out all day, right. all night in the summer right. with the with the fireflies till right. till midnight. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that is something I, I truly had wished that my, my children could have experienced because it, it was wonderful. But I think I, we had a, a huge storm two or three years ago here for uh, wintertime. You know, it snowed seven inches twice in one week. That's insane. It never happens in San Antonio, Texas. And we lost Internet service and, and all. My children needed to go pick up a cousin, you know, several miles away, had no idea how to get there. And I told him, I said, well, you know, you go to this house and there's the purple dog there and you take a left and then you go to the, you know, the, the <laughs> corner here. And, the, and they're like, you were, you were speaking Greek. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. all of those things are it's a lost art. Absolutely. And I, I fear at some point we're going to have to go back to that. And my my fear of technology and, and <laughs> I feel like we get go. things we get so much calmer if we could get back. We can't get back there. But yeah. Yeah. right now we have all of this fractured energy, you know, <sighs> with posts and tweets and texts and it, hard, hard not to be so to speak, ADHD or, or one of these things. Instant gratification galore. And just, yeah, I, my, my kids get upset if, you know, the Amazon is not going to be there in the next three hours. Like, well, what happened? You know, yep. it's really, it's really uh, taking a, a toll on us. And so I, it, in that, we're going to come up on the break. I told you it would go really fast, but we're going to mm-hmm. come up on the break in just a few minutes. I would love for people to be able to look for you and find your, you know, information and writings and and all you've got a great website so can you give us some information about how to find you sure the the main way is my website ericmazel.com e-r-i-c-m-a-i-s-e-l.com i'm also the lead editor on something called the ethics international press critical psychology and critical psychiatry series and if people are interested in what we were chatting about in the areas of critical psychology and critical psychiatry um 
I have several books out in that series. I'm the lead editor on that series. And the newest one is Deconstructing ADHD. If you kind of don't believe in ADHD, this is the book for you. Gotcha. That's great. And I am going to have all of your information on my site as well. So you will be highlighted. I've got a brand new website that should be out in the next couple of weeks. Cross your fingers. But uh, I'm going to have you highlighted on that and all this information uh, very gladly. And I know people can. uh, Oh, let me tell you where to go, though. If you'll go to drpbetterlife.com, all of that information will be there under guest highlights. Uh, You can also find all of the links to YouTube and to iTunes, Spotify, whatever, you know, podcast platform you use, I am on there. And then also on San Antonio Radio here locally on uh, 930-THE-ANSWER. And so I've got to uh, pay homage to my uh, sponsor here for a moment, which is Pinnacle Clinical Research. And Pinnacle Research is a wonderful group of extraordinary physicians that are known internationally for liver research. Uh, We have a huge problem uh, in South Texas, Dr. Mizell, for fatty liver uh, disease, lots of diabetes, lots of obesity. So uh, we are in a project to get patients to go and get screened. People can go to pinnacleresearch.com and sign up for a free fibro scan. takes just a few minutes. I did it. It's painless. It's quick. And it's free. So we definitely want people to go to pinnacleresearch.com. So uh, in the the next, uh, you know, uh, turn around. We've got eight minutes on the other side. We'll talk a little bit more about this. And so I want everybody to visit drpbetterlife.com and get more information on Dr. Maisel and all the rest of my podcasts. And we are going to take a short break. Be right back. Fatty liver is linked to two different situations, alcohol and diabetes or obesity. In both cases, patients can have no symptoms. In the United States and in particular, Texas, the most common cause of liver disease in general is non-alcoholic fatty liver. Again, associated with overweight, obesity, and or diabetes. Additional risk factors include high cholesterol, high blood pressure, Hispanic ethnicity, and postmenopausal status. At Pinnacle Clinical Research, we offer a quick, non-invasive, ultrasound-based screening assessment called FibroScan. This test is done at no cost to you, and we do not take insurance. The test will measure the fat and stiffness in your liver and state your risk and development of fatty liver disease. You will meet with a provider immediately following your scan to go over your results. If you're interested in getting more information on your liver health, please call 210-529-7978 and schedule your FibroScan today. We are conveniently located in the Medical Center at 5109 Medical Drive. Welcome back. I am Dr. Marian Pinkston, and I am with Dr. Eric Maisel this morning, and we are having a lovely discussion about the world of uh, psychology, psychiatry, especially, you know, focused a few uh, minutes on children and what they're going through. And I know it, you, as, as we ended, you were speaking about the project that you're doing and explain that. that. That sounds wonderful. I'd like to know more about that. Well, there are there are folks who don't believe in, in the psychiatric model, in the DSM model. And we have sort of three names. We haven't settled on a name. It's critical psychology, critical psychiatry, or anti-psychiatry. Yeah. And I'm doing um, a big series for a press, Ethics International Press. And the series is, is about critical psychiatry, what, what's wrong with the current paradigm. Three books in that series have come out so far. One is uh, Critiquing the Psychiatric Model. One is Humane Alternatives to the Psychiatric Model. And the one that just came out is Deconstructing ADHD with maybe 20 or 30 contributors from around the world expressing their disagreement with the current uh, diagnostic system. We have a book, Deconstructing Autism, which is a complicated matter. Right. 
coming out um, later this year. Really? We're looking at other things, um, difficulties with problems with psychological testing. Are they real tests or what are they? Yeah. All kinds of issues in psychology and psychiatry. Kind of anything that interests me, I get to do a book on, which is which is kind of a blessing. Yeah. So I'm, I'm enjoying that position of getting to look at these subjects that interest me. That's great. And I love that because I do believe that we have um, isolated ourselves into a pharmaceutical world. And like you say, just simple labels that really don't apply anymore. Our world has changed since all these labels, uh, you know, have uh, come out or diagnosed, whatever you want to call them. I I agree with you in labels. And so I, I look at our world as well with the change over to growing more food, you know, genetically modifying our foods, growing yep. more foods. And, you know, it's a very inflammatory process once they're genetically modified. And then high fructose corn syrup, because we had too much corn, we needed something to do with it. We processed it there. You know, we have a lot of uh, pesticides with Monsanto that came out in 96. And all of these issues seem to occur right there in the late 80s, kind of early 90s, mid 90s. And that yep. seems to me to be when we had a huge change in psychiatric issues with neural inflammation. I think a lot of these issues, autism and all, or neuroinflammation and, you know, obesity and metabolic inflammation, you know, all of those things. And I think that's about where it occurred. Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, Not precisely there. I agree. What came up for me was the way in which we we have to be watchdogs and and whistleblowers, even though that's not particularly comfortable. And and whistleblowers and watchdogs don't tend to do very well in real life. There's a lot of pushback. But the folks in charge of the DSM, the American Psychiatric Association, they want to keep generating these labels uh, for professional and profitable reasons. And somebody has to watch out. You know, they recently wanted to make a grief a mental disorder. If, if, if after X number of right. days, you're still grieving the loss of your child, now you're supposed to go on to medication. And there are lots of, and there's lots of um, attempts at now looking at, um, that you might be mentally ill down the road, look at giving kids especially who have, whose parents have been diagnosed with depression, antidepressants before they themselves are depressed, just oh in God. case one day they might no. be depressed. Yeah, that there's a lot of energy in just grabbing more people into the model. Yeah. So somebody just has to <laughs> watch and say, you know, the emperor has no clothes. Absolutely. And I am on your side with that one. Uh, I do think we have... We have pushed people into a whole different algorithm and things. And now we've got, we've expanded. And, and I'm going to preface this with nothing against nurse practitioners or PAs. In fact, I, I train nurse practitioners on a regular yep. basis, but I train them to think for themselves and to get away from the algorithms, just the algorithm, yep. just the recipes and whatnot. But I feel like we have a fairly untrained world now trying to enter in. And, and I feel like that is driven either by maybe the pharmaceutical industry, definitely the insurance industry, you know, to save yep. money, increase the amount of, of care, save money, yeah. uh, save liability, things like that. And we're doing there's our a certain, and there's a certain ease and safety in just being able to um, go down a list and then Absolutely. come up with the same conclusion that Absolutely. other people. Just as a, I don't know if we have time, but just as a quick anecdote, I had a, maybe five or six years ago, I had a super enlarged prostate um, and it required surgery and the surgeon was great. Uh, but but the PAs were a little scared to do what they needed to do afterwards. Like there was some blood in some recess of my body that needed to be removed. But I think it was not on their list of things to do. Sure. And so when 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 the surgeon came in, he immediately did it and kind of chastised the, the PA for not being more self-starting. But it's scary to be self-starting, sure. you know, to just make decisions on your own. Absolutely. 
It's scary. It, it, so I, I understand why people do the checklist thing because sure. they have that to back them up. They Absolutely. can defend. They can defend what they just did. Absolutely. That's natural, but it leads to a lot of bad consequences. It really does, and I think that uh, try to affect uh, to people that yes, I, and I have a great nurse practitioner in my practice, but he does not have the training that I have. And and I uh, like you mentioned, you know, we were trained in medical school and heavy years of residency and whatnot to be self-starting and to think uh, above and to really know the depths of of uh, what's going on with, with patients but to take charge and to yeah. do what's necessary and i think yep. they get like two years maybe one year of clinicals you know working with patients although a lot of them were nurses and they've had a lot of time doing procedures and taking care of patients yep. but they weren't the initiator they yep. weren't the the boss so to speak or give the yep. orders or and with respect to taking charge, um, we have a very individualistic model where one one therapist or one coach works with one individual. So we can't really take charge of the people around the identified patient gotcha. or the identified client. We don't have that right, so to speak, or that opportunity. In Scandinavia, there's a model called the open dialogue method where a whole team of practitioners will come to your home and, and, and involve the whole family in whatever's going on with wow. these so-called so schizophrenic or so-called and that's that's such a different model where where everybody has responsibility and where you just can see what's going on in a family unit as opposed to just imagining this isolated person right. has no interactions with other human beings in wow. their life. How empowering is that? Because if you have somebody like that in your home, you do not understand or know how what's wrong or how to deal with them. If you have that capability, that is so much better for the patient, really. And yeah, and it's it's heavy work. lifting to have so many people involved in helping one person. It's like not cost effective, and it's not those things that are that are bottom line driven. It's just the right thing to be doing. Absolutely. I think we've forgotten that. I think that's a great point to end on right there, the right thing to be doing. And that is so lost upon us. And sometimes we don't know exactly what the right thing is, mm -hmm. but I don't think we are headed in the right direction so far. But, well, we have about a minute left. I have really enjoyed this so much. You've got a, a lot of great uh, thoughts and philosophies and ways of looking at things. And so I'm going to take a little deeper dive into your books. And I know I want uh, my patients and, and my audience to do the same. So I'm going to guide everybody to drpbetterlife.com and have you guys look up Dr. Eric Maisel. He's going to be on there with all of his information. And I'm going to make sure you've got plenty of links to find him. Uh, you know, Dr. Maisel, is there anything on the end right here that, you know, pearls of wisdom that you can give my audience and those Yeah, stay, stay warm. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. <laughs> well, you know, I know everybody's trying very hard and looking for a lot of answers. And uh, I think you provide some great thoughts and, and things to uh, definitely think more deeply about. I really appreciate you being on. What an honor. And uh, hopefully we'll, we'll do this again. And, yeah, uh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. And everybody have a great week out there. We'll see you next time. You've been enjoying The Better Life with Dr. Marianne Pinkston. For more information, go to drpthebetterlife.com. That's drpthebetterlife.com. And listen next week for The Better Life with Dr. Pinkston. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.